Has anyone said that yet this morning? Happy Valentine's Day. You know, some churches hand out carnations. I'm sorry we didn't do that today. Maybe next year. Um, but I think it's really fitting that today is Valentine's Day. Um, and let me start by sharing with you. So I think one of the things as you get older is birthdays stop meaning as much, right? And then maybe once you're an old married couple, Valentine's Day <laughs> stops meaning as much. I mean, my husband was excellent and brought the flowers, but generally speaking, I don't think a lot about Valentine's Day, which is why it was a real gift to me to hear my kids on Thursday evening just delighted with glee as they filled out their little cardboard folds and have Valentines for their friends. And it took me back to being eight or nine years old and, and truly the joy that was expressing and receiving love. I mean, they're just little cardboard pieces of paper that you fold in half and Everybody in the class gets one, right? But at eight, somehow, I thought that they'd picked that valentine just for me. And I certainly looked through all of my valentines and read the, the things and would pick out which one I thought went with each friend. And it was really just a day, maybe I'm the only one who felt this way, me and, me and my children, a, a day where I genuinely felt loved. My kids were so excited to make these little goodie bags for their friends. And, and just their delight and their joy reminded me what a gift it is to really care for and express our love to one another. Uh, like I said, I think it's so fitting that today is Valentine's Day because as God continues to do over and over in my life, he aligns things in ways that I never, I was certainly wasn't clever enough to have aligned or didn't have in mind. I'm talking about love today, and that's actually totally coincidental. I didn't even plan it for Valentine's Day. But as we continue in our sermon series titled Grace, which if you'll remember or if you're just tuning in with us for the first time today, uh, that visual of grace, it is, it is a representation of God it is a representation of God's grace, and it's also a representation of those last four letters, R-A-C-E, race. Last week, uh, we talked about what Scripture has to say about race. Um, today, I want us to look at the conversation, frankly, through the lens of obedience to God's commandment to love. I think Part of why, for me and in Scripture, why we're called to have conversations like the one that we're engaged in these next few weeks is because it is an expression of love. Now, to help make that point, I'm going to show you another clip today that is an excerpt from the conversation I had with Paxton Reed a couple of weeks ago. Again, for those of you who are tuning in with us for the first time this week, Pastor Paxton uh, pastored a primarily African-American congregation which worshiped on the campus of First Baptist for a number of years um, and, and with whom we just had a great relationship. Both of our congregations enjoyed each other's company and um, Pastor Paxton and I have enjoyed each other's uh, friendship. And so, today, I'd like to show you another clip from when he and I sat down and talked about race. How has it been for you as a construct 
in the church, in Christian community? For me, it, it's been frustrating, yeah. in a sense, um, because I think up until recently, it, it's been a a topic where, when I begin to bring it up as a conversation to to white Christians, and we have a, there seems to it's always been a wall because, and I think for several different reasons, you know. Maybe they didn't feel comfortable or it's just not a time to, to confront. They didn't feel comfortable or it's just not a search such sensitive issues. But I've longed wanting to have a conversation about what white Christians believe racism is and how they, how they understand it and, and explain me. My, explain me. Right. And, and then and, and it's been frustrated because I don't think it's ever been received. It may be, they may hear it, but there's never really been a serious conversation of trying to understand and trying to interact with these, these delicate, sensitive topics and really sit down and just talk and, and allow me to, to ex say what my experience is and then allow me to, to understand what your perspective on race is and how you come to understand and that we could grow together and come to a, an understanding or not an understanding, but at least a conversation could happen. Right. So that's, that's been my, my, my frustration um, just over the years. I just, I don't, we just, I, it's a, there's a wall. Good. One of the things, and, and I'm gonna summarize what I think you, I heard you say, which is dangerous, so you should fix what I get wrong. But I think it is worth highlighting. Um, what I think I heard you say, you know, I sometimes hear people say, why do we have to talk about this? Why can't we just get along? And what I think that I've heard you say, and I want you to confirm for me or not, is, and you're not saying this, so let me put this in, these words in my mouth. As a white person, I very much cannot think about race. Right. I, I can exist without thinking about it, right? But I think what I've heard you say is that you can't. You always exist thinking about it. And if I care about you and love you and want to know you, then, then that in itself is a reason to talk about it because it matters to you, not to mention all of the other levels of, of Christian responsibility, et cetera. React to that. That's, that's a good point, yeah. Um, I, I think, and, I, I, and I, as I read and as I study and I, as I interact with this thing about race, and I, I, I really do understand I do now understand the resistance that I have experienced in the past. It's because white people never had to grapple or never had to have the exercise uh, uh, of grappling with race. So when they, when they have to confront it, it's foreign. Right. Anything that's foreign, it's, 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 there's an automatic, because they're not used to, but with black people, we, just, we can talk about it. It's, it's like it's nothing like anything because it's who, what we experience. And so it's, we've had exercise with it and right. so it's just easier so we earlier on I didn't understand why it, it would be so hard but now I kind of understand it from a contextual standpoint right. is that you don't have to necessarily can walk through this world without having to to grapple with race right and we do it all the time so there's where the disconnect was that I understand now yeah okay so absolutely so when you said right so I think what you were saying was that you know you need that you have tried to get beyond that part, of, that part of you and look at me, look at other people of color as more or less 
your brothers and sisters to want to know. Exactly, part of loving you. Part of loving, exactly, is, is, is moving beyond my, my, own, my own comfort level within right. this sensitive topic to really understand if we're really brothers and sisters. Right, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. Is that uh, yeah. So there was a lot in this interview, as you can imagine, we're just showing little cliplets along the way and trying to show them more in context. They've been coming out in emails if you want to watch them. Here is, I knew what he was going to say, or at least, which you never know what someone's going to say, so I shouldn't say that. I presumed I knew what he was going to say, but it still caught me off guard when he said, I need you to know about this because I need you to know about me. And who doesn't want to know about their brothers and sisters in Christ and the ones that they do love and care for and the things that are going on with them? So today, that's really the only lens that we're looking through, is that knowing our brothers and sisters and just hearing about them is a way that we follow the biblical commandment to love. So let's take a look uh, before we continue with some of our stories about the scripture passage that I have chosen for us today. It comes from Romans 12. You've already heard it read, but I'm going to take it in chunks and spend a little bit of time uh, going over the particulars, as I tend to do, so that we can really understand just what it is Paul is having to say. First of all, in the same way that you have to take cl interview clips out of context, you have to take scripture out of context because I can't read the whole chapter to you, so let me fill you in on what I you've missed. This, much like last week, is a conversation in the middle of what it's like to come together as Jesus people and be Jew and Gentile. Okay? Again, those were the two categories of human that really mattered back then. Jews being those who were not necessarily a racial group, they were an ethnic group, but primarily what identified them is that they followed the Torah, right? And then you had the Gentiles, not Jewish by ethnicity, and traditionally did not follow the law of Moses and the prophets, etc. And you know, when two people get together, or two groups of people, there's always tussles, and it just is this perennial thing throughout the New Testament. Jews and Gentiles, how can we get along? And so that is the context, in particular, that Paul is speaking into when he says, in the beginning of verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. See, the thing is, in, in the early Christian community, both sides could have made an argument for why they were better than, right? The Jews could have said, we are God's people, we have experienced the circumcision, y'all like Johnny come lately, hangers on, y'all can join us, but we're the real deal. Gentiles, on the other hand, are like, man, y'all got confused. Have Jesus, have you listened to what Jesus had to say about your leaders? We're the ones who are circumcised by the heart. And in the midst of trying to be Christian community, these divisions and these markers, not of identity, because that's one of the things we talked about last week. Diversity is still loved and cherished by God. But superiority, these markers of superiority 
that they're still trying to persist within the Christian church, uh, Paul is just saying, y'all are missing the point. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, which also doesn't mean think of yourself any less than you ought, okay? You're still made in the image of God, but you're not more made in the image of God than your, than your Christian neighbor. Instead, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And so, again, Paul starts by having them sort of back up and, and be self-reflective about how they think about themselves as it relates to other people. As individuals, he's talking to them, you as a person, you as a body. But then he moves from how each of us think about ourselves individually to how it is we're supposed to be in community. Moving from, and I'm stealing this title from a Christian author, moving from me to we. And here's what he goes on to say. He says, for just as each of us, excuse me, for just as each of us has one body with many members. Members could mean appendages or organs. He's literally talking about body parts. We have one body with many parts, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all each other. All right, not only do you consider yourself soberly, you also consider yourself collectively moving from me as an individual to we. And this we as individuals in community are supposed to work for each other's good. And so he goes on to say, and he's speaking specifically of spiritual gifts, and he's speaking for this time and serving in the church. He says, but we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of you. If your gift is prophesying, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. Pastors love to cite this list here, okay? It's, it's how we get people to give and how we get people to volunteer, right? If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, in another sermon, I might break down each of these things and talk about the ways in which we are gifted. My point today is simply that Paul is saying, get in there and do something for the sake of the people who are a part of your family. Christian community is not just defined by warm feeling. It is defined by active service on behalf of the other, serving one another. And then Paul goes on to list sort of the markers of what a Christian community looks like. And it should come as no surprise that love, as in almost and possibly all of them, but I don't want to make that categorical statement, love leads the list in, in when it's talked about in the New Testament. And so in chapter, excuse me, in verse 9, he leads with love, must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, 
but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And then this, this last statement, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And depending on your translation, you might know this verse as weep with those who weep. Do you know who rejoices with those who rejoice and mourns with those who mourn? Friends. Real friends. I want you to think about the last time you got excited for somebody. My guess is it was for a daughter or a husband or a very good friend. We celebrate those for whom we have real love. And when the people we love are brokenhearted, it breaks ours. And so Paul is saying, care enough about each other that you rejoice when things go well for them and that when they hurt, it hurts you. The story or circumstance that initially came to mind, I confess, I don't, I don't have permission to share, so I'm, I may include some sort of vague references to it, although it was shared freely on social media, so hopefully, um, so hopefully that, that's a fair permission to share. Uh, as you all know, I'm a student at Duke, and one of the many blessings of that experience is that I have the opportunity to interact with people from a variety of different races and backgrounds, more so than I necessarily get to experience, you know, here. And so in late May, this Christian friend shared a two-and-a-half-minute video on her Facebook feed. Now, to place this in context, do y'all remember some of the things that were happening in May? All right, this is George Floyd and Christian Cooper and all of these things. But she wasn't talking about that. She shared a personal experience that had happened that evening, which was topical to everything that was going on, but the story was her own. Her nephew, who had just graduated from high school in the midst of COVID, right? Just the pits to be a senior, your last year, and you can't even go to school. And so to celebrate, so to speak, he and a couple of his friends, actually 10, I think, to be exact, uh, decided that they'd, they'd play basketball in a church parking lot. Just to, they'd play basketball in a church. Celebrate, finally having graduated, something they could do outside, just so and so these 10 boys went to a church parking lot that had a basketball goal, and they're playing. Now, now some things you need to know. It's a mixed group of about 10 young men, most of whom were African-American, a handful were Latino, and one young man was white. 
So they're playing basketball, celebrating having graduated from high school. And this lady, a white lady, drives by slowly and calls out to the white kid. She asks this white kid, are they with you? And he says, yes. She says, okay, good. Otherwise, I was gonna call the police because y'all would be trespassing. Now, here's, here's some important things to know. This woman and this boy, did, woman and this did not know each other. Number two, If anybody was trespassing, they all were, right? And this lady who didn't know this young man, and it also wasn't his church, drove by and said, are they with you? Okay, good. Otherwise, I was going to report you all as trespassing. Here's what struck me about this story. And so much of this is just it is. It is the world according to Stacy in my experience, but I shared these things in case they resonate with you. What surprised me is that it didn't surprise me. And let me unpack that for a minute. It's not like I could say in that moment, these things still happen? I never knew. Because I knew. Black people have been telling me that these things have been happened to them for a very long time. And they tell them on social media, and they tell it on the news, and, and they tell it to their friends and their families. So while I was heartbroken, I apparently hadn't been heartbroken enough, because Again, this wasn't news. I just was more primed to react because of everything that had been happening in the world around us. Again, this is only a reflection on me. But I guess I at least have to ask myself the question, this is not to say that I'm not sympathetic or that any other time I wouldn't have been hurt. But when I think about that line of rejoicing with those who are rejoicing and weeping with those who weep, prior to that moment in history, would I have let her pain which was evident in this video. She had a lot of fear. Fortunately, everything was fine, but she, you know, she's just thinking about all the what ifs. There'd been a lot on the news, right? Would I have let myself feel that wound? And if I hadn't, bad on me. So this is really, in many ways, this is a very simplistic and straightforward message today. Because I don't have a whole lot more to say than this should matter to me and to us. 
because it matters to people within the body. It matters to our black and brown friends who maybe don't all experience things in the same way or at the same time, and I'm also not saying that everything we see on TV, you know, we all have to use our discernment, but the thing is, people within the body are saying, I'm hurting. And if we listen to Paul and the words of Scripture, love compels us to hurt too. So in the interest of weeping with those who weep, I just have a couple of stories to share. There is nothing particular about them except for that they're the ones that I stumbled across. And here are two stories from the body of Christ. DC Talk. I don't know if y'all remember them. They were a Christian band in the 90s. I don't know that they do a whole lot. They had a song titled Jesus Freak. For those of you who are familiar with them, all right, Brian's totally with me on it. One of their members, Michael Tate, is an African-American man. Christian leader, solid uh, man of integrity. In fact, this particular interview came from a, um, a publication called Men of Integrity. And he relays how not very many years ago, he says he went to the Smoky Mountains to do some rock, rock climbing with friends, and they were in a small town near Knoxville, Tennessee, and they pulled into a little country store. Probably had to get gas, maybe wanted a soda. I really don't know. He says he walks in. There are three white guys sitting there, and they give him a look he said he's never seen before. One of them says, you don't belong around here, boy. He says, at first I couldn't believe he was talking to me. He said, then I couldn't believe it. Y'all, this stuff is real. The man then says to him, stick around here after dark and we'll hang you. Thank God the story ends there. He turns around and walks away and nothing happens. But here's what he says. I'll never forget how I felt in that little country store less than human, and alone. John says this is love, John 14. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love with one another. Excuse me, love one another. And jumping to the Romans passage, weep with those who weep. Story number two, Samuel Rodriguez. Last name gives it all away. He's now a pastor and the leader of an international evangelical association of churches. I don't know how old he is, but I googled this picture. He looks like me, okay? So not that long ago, he was a 15-year-old kid, not that long ago. Our students who are watching at home were probably thinking that was ancient, that was years ago. For me, this was just, you know, right around the corner. Not that long ago, he was 15, sitting in his guidance counselor's office. He's a freshman. He's at Lehigh Valley, which is in uh, Pennsylvania, somewhere between Philadelphia and Allentown. And as a freshman, the point of the meeting was to discuss his vocational aspira aspirations so that they could talk about, as I think guidance counselors often do, what courses he should sign up for so that he can sort of start heading toward his future career. 
Now, this is how he describes the area in which he grew up. He says, since our school was located in a mostly working class area, students were placed into one of two groups pretty quickly. Either those who were smart enough and had the financial means to go to college, or those who either weren't smart enough or didn't have the financial means and then studied for a trade. Which is not to say that either one of those is superior to the other, but people were categorized pretty quickly, is what he was trying to say. And so unassuming, 15-year-old kid, he sits down in the chair and his guidance counselor says, so what do you want to do when you get out of school, Sam? What kind of job are you thinking about? And his response is, well, I'm really into computers and I thought maybe I could study uh, computer engineering at one of the universities. And completely deadpan, without any malice, she wasn't trying to be mean. She said, no, Sam, I'm not kidding. Your kind doesn't go to college. You can work either construction or landscaping or get some other kind of service job. He had great grades and was at the top of his class. He tested high on his aptitude and his intelligence tests. And the thing is, she wasn't even trying to be mean. But it devastated him. Now, he took it as a challenge and decided, I will defy her expectations for me. But how many other 15-year-old boys sat in that chair and just thought, yeah, I guess she's probably right. Which is not to say, again, that there is anything superior from one track to the other, but to have someone tell you what you're allowed to do based on your quote-unquote kind, your kind. Now, this is a few years ago. We are to weep with those who weep. John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I'll wrap it up, because this really is the only point that I have to share with us today, friends. But I want to circle back to that metaphor that Paul uses for the Christian family being a body, a biological organism. Verse 4, I'll read it again, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I never see Jamie's children's messages before you do. Like, I don't see them prior to the moment they play in worship. And so I always love it when God has been saying to her what God has been saying to me. And it is precisely this point that if something in your body is hurting, the whole system feels it. Like, a headache is actually a very limited portion of my physiology, but it puts all of me in the bed sometimes for like days at a time. And here's the thing. If part of your body is in pain and the rest of your system doesn't feel it, something's broken in the system. And I mean that on the medical level. If you whack your thumb with a hammer and the rest of you does not know that or feel, you have bigger problems. 
And I think that is a point worth making. When any member of the body holds up his or her hand and says, I'm hurting, we may not know what to say, and we may not know what to do, and I certainly am not here to prescribe all of the right reactions and responses. But I do know that I need to feel that pain. It is part of being Christian community. It is a part of being friends. And it is a part of loving in the way God has called us to love. So let me finish with this final scripture passage coming from Colossians 3. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in, in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then in verse 14, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pray. God, I pray that you soften all our hearts. It is hard to love. It is a risk to love. It's a risk to hurt when the people we love are hurting. But that is precisely what you did for us. You chose to take on our pain. You chose to join with us in our sorrow. And for that, there are not enough words to say thank you. So God, may we be people who are marked by that same kind of generous love that is kind and compassion and bears each other's burdens. And in that way, may the world know that we are Christians because of our love. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen.